0: I'm sure most people would say I was mad.
1: Hello, welcome once again to the Downhill Second Half Podcast. Joining me, Ian DL is a man with Wi-Fi that has the same level of connection as Ahmed Dean did with that free kick at Northampton. It's our podcast producer, James Harrison. Hello. And alongside him, a man as hard to understand the inner workings of as that of the barnet career of Chris James in his failed attempt to earn a place in the New Zealand World Cup squad of 2010. It's Craig Clayton.
2: That was Out of the blue, that one. I didn't see that coming at all, Ian, so thank you very much. Cheers. Got to keep you guessing, mate. Got to keep it fresh.
1: (laughs) Um, And I'm delighted to introduce our guest today. Uh, From a different era to some of the people we've had on before, um, but a man whose name will forever be written into Underhill history. He scored Underhill's final ever goal, along with a number of others, and is the subject of the greatest ever player chant not to properly catch on, which we'll go (laughs) into shortly. He's a man who knows the way to goal. He mugged off Casper Schmeichel. Given the ball and he'll
2: score. It's Jake Hyde. Afternoon, chaps. How we doing? <laughs> yeah, very good, mate. Very yeah, good. Coming on, Jake. No worries, no worries. I'm looking forward to it. So, Jake, before you uh, before you signed to Barnet, we uh, probably the first thing Barnet fans knew about you if they were watching Soccer AM was you on that uh, that skills uh, challenge. Yeah, in, yeah. In How, I mean, was that was that kind of a moment for you where you, you sort of broke into football and became something, or was that still quite early on for you? Now, do you know what? It was really str- I, I could
3: have forgotten all about that. Do you know what? That is really strange. I, um, at the time, it wasn't as big as it was. Uh, yes. I think we were like the second academy ever to do it. So like we hadn't seen it on the telly. They come to us, they explain what they wanted to do. Uh, the first team, I was actually training with the first team at the time and we did the crossbar challenge an hour before. Um, and then they were like, we're trying to film this new thing for the academy kids. Uh, and I was like yeah all right I'll have a go at that um, and they gave us a little practice to start with and they told us it was going to be like a one-off wonder um, and like if you messed it up basically you were that's you done and I was like oh my god so I was thinking <laughs> I'm gonna try anything here like I'm going to look like a complete prat right right live on telly so I was going to do like a croy for a stop turn or something stupid um, and then he was like anyway long story short he's winding us up you had as many attempts as you could and he ended up being good fun and obviously it went to progress to be quite a big deal and it's the first thing, as I say, a lot of the Barnet fans mentioned or saw, because I was a, a youth team player effectively coming into the first team for the first time. Um, it was the first thing they saw, and it's, it's the thing that they mentioned. But yeah, it, I mean, it was just good fun, and it wasn't wasn't supposed to be as big as it got, but it, it really did take off.
2: I think, yeah, no, we, we certainly remember that. And um, when we were thinking back to that time, I think that became a bit of a big deal when when you signed. I suppose, um, being at Swindon, before you signed for Barnet, and... Um, and not being local necessarily to Barnet, did you have an awareness of the club already and, and was, was there anything that, that Ian Hendon, I think, was the uh, manager at the time that said or did that made it an interesting place to come? Yeah, do you know what? Um, Hendo was obviously the reason I come to the club. Uh,
3: he'd come to see me in a few reserve games and I'd had previous chats with him. And then they set up, they, so they invited me down. At, at football clubs when you're young, they usually, about a month before the end of season, usually... Uh, you'll sort of get a feeling if you're gonna get kept on or not. You usually get offered your pro contracts again or not. And I'd been there for two years and the change of manager had just come in. Um, and long story short, uh, all the reserves were getting scrapped. So we kind of had a feel that all the young lads were at the door um, and all the boys that were sort of pushing for the first team, if they weren't starting in the first team right then, they would go in and he was gonna go a different way with it. So we kind of half knew, um, and that sort of five or six of us. And because of that, we ended up being at to train with other clubs. And I went into a training session with Barnett, and as I say at the time, I didn't know much about club at all. I went into a training session with Barnett, um, and it was like a good training session. I enjoyed it. I think I did all right, whatever, whatever. And um, and Ian Hendon said, "Listen, like we're looking at you for next season. Uh, I've got a resi game though. Can you just come and help like fill the numbers?" And I was like, "Yeah, like no problem. I don't mind. Like whatever." Um, obviously, I didn't realise it was as serious as a trial. Like I just assumed I was sort of like. Um, like training with them or whatever. So yeah, we, we actually set up a friendly game. I played in and scored in, and and the rest is history. But next week, I got a phone call being like, "Yeah, we want to offer you a contract." I was like, "Great, let's do it." And uh, and the rest was history. Yeah.
0: We started that season. You made two sub appearances uh, to start with, but then you got your opportunity to start your first game against um, against Shrewsbury. And by yeah. half time of that game, you've scored two goals, including a penalty. Um, yeah. How did that feel for you? Like as a nineteen-year-old, obviously making your full debut in the football league. Yeah. Um, how did it feel, sort of making making that much of an impact from the start?
3: Yeah, do you know what that was amazing? I actually was. I remember the day of the season starting, and I thought I was going to start. I was fuming not to be starting, and that sounds really surreal because I only turned nineteen the week before, and I had no league experience at all. As I say. Um, <laughs> but I remember going away to Lincoln and being like, when he read the team out, being like so angry, being like, well done. Man. I played every game of preseason. What, where does this come from? And obviously, it's a massive, it's completely different playing preseason to the league. I understand that now, but at the time, you can't sort of get your head around it. Um, and I come on in two games, like you say. And then when he pulled me to the side in training Thursday, he said, right, you're starting. And I was like, all right, cool. Like, almost like, oh, I should have been starting last week, mate. But I'm a little <laughs> bit, okay, great. Um, but yeah, so anyway, I was. Probably overconfident in a way. And the team we had at the time, I don't think I appreciated. Like, you look at that team now. I mean, our wingers were Albert Adoma and Yannick Velassi. The strike force we had, I was playing alongside Paul Furlong, who I used to watch play for like Chelsea and QPR. Um, and obviously, Flynney weren't uh, fit at the time. But even like at the back, we had like, we had Michael Hyde, who was a, a, a captain of Watford in the centre mid, and Mark Hughes, who potentially probably had his best season of his career uh, then. Um, and Gary bringing at the back, and again, and and Jake Cohen got like the, the the spine of the team was strong and experienced, and had played at championship and a Premiership level. And again, when you're young, you don't really sort of take those, you you kind of like poo those things and take them for granted. Like I didn't realise the experience I was coming into, and and I was learning my trade without realising it. So yeah, obviously to score, I actually remember that I remember it really well. You do always your debut, I imagine, but um, the ball coming in, it was kind of like a floated cross, and I thought I'm going to have to get so much on this because I'm like. It's kind of behind me. I'm going backwards. And I, I, nine times out of ten, you probably miss that header. Like, just loop away or whatever. But for whatever reason, that day, it went in for me. And you, from there, you're just growing confidence. As I say, yeah, strikers are built off confidence. But when you're a bit older, you sort of have faith in your ability. When you're starting out and it's your first game, you sink or swim. You don't know if you're going to be any good or not, really. Like, you might think you will. But until you've actually sort of proved in a pudding and you've got a bit of belief about it. Huh? So that was massive for me. I, I, scoring that goal was, was huge. And then, as I say, two minutes later, I got dragged down for the penalty. And I'm the youngest kid on the pitch, and I picked the ball up. And before I knew what I was doing, I was standing there taking it. And then I was thinking, yeah, to be fair, uh, there's a few other people that probably could have grabbed it off me at the time. <laughs> like I say, I don't think that. You don't think that at the time. I, I wanted to take it. I took it. And I remember Albert Adoma coming up to me and going, someone else wanted it. And he goes, no, no, no. He's confident. He's, he's got it. He's picked up the ball. He didn't take it. And I was like, yeah, mate,
1: leave me alone. That like, type of situation. I was like, yeah.
3: And I just put it down. And as I say, I knew straight away I was going down the middle because um, goalie was going to dive. And yeah, the, that, was, that was good. And I remember coming off half-time, it was 2-1 up at the time, and I remember coming off at half-time and, um, and being like, man, this stuff's easy. <laughs> no, I don't really. I was like, I was like oh, no, this is, this is Like I was smiling as if we'd won the game. And again, like right now, it's a completely, it's a, you've been in football long enough. If I come off, if I scored two at half-time, and it was 2-1, I wouldn't be coming off smiling because the job's only half done. Yeah, yeah. By the time, that, for me, I was like, man, like, I was just, so, I couldn't stop smiling. And that was, that was me thinking the job's done. The irony of that is we actually drew the game 2-2. And I don't know if many of you will look into this. and I probably shouldn't bring myself out, But we had an injury. I think it was Husey. Um, he went off with something just for a corner. And obviously, you can't come back on from a corner. And I ended up picking up his man. And his man ran and scored from the corner. <laughs> <But> <laughs> the irony was, from that, I probably conceded a goal. Um, and at the time, I remember Breeny telling me, he goes, that's your man. And I was like, yeah, no, know. And he was like, yeah. He was like, bloody lucky you scored two. Let's get a Saturday anyway. And I was like, yeah, all right. And that was kind of a learning curve there and then. Like your first game, highs and lows of football.
0: Quite interesting. You talk about um, being quite angry and upset at the start of the season when you, when you realised you weren't picked. Did you realise quite quickly that Ian Hendon was the sort of person you don't really turn around and answer back to?
3: Yeah. Do you know what? Me and Endo always had a really good relationship but I, I know he's got sort of, um, I know he's got, there's mixed opinions on him and that but I always quite liked him because he was he was always straight with me. He When, when he, felt he needed to, uh, to put an arm around me he did. Obviously, I was still a young boy but um, when he needed to put an arm around me he did and when I needed to bollock in when I got overconfident or whatever because I was always quite cheeky whenever I got overconfident he'd tell me about it um, and I remember making a joke at one stage and he completely shut me down and it was like like sort of tingles down the spine like shut me down like in front of everyone like I, ma- I made a joke in the, f- the physio room I can't remember Everyone's laughing giggling laughing giggling and then I made a joke and as I say he went mental and I didn't see it coming I was like oh right okay um, and then he sort of said like you, you, you're 19 years old you should be seen and not heard and I'm, I've never forgot that line you should be seen and not heard and I still believe that now um, basically it's another way of saying you should earn your stripes um, and when you're young uh, do you talking on a pitch? Not, not, not sort of previously, but it was just for me. It was just a joke around with my mates, or whatever, whatever be overheard, and it was like I think I think I would just turn my ankle or something, and I was injured at the time. And he um, he thought I was too happy to be injured. If that made sense, I, I didn't understand that. And it. And he's right. Like looking back on it, when you're injured, you should be you should, should be working, you should be grafting, and doing everything you can to be back on the pitch. If the manager walks past on a Friday afternoon and someone's laughing and giggling in the treatment room, um. That's not on. So I completely understand now, but it's all a learning curve. But yeah, exactly that. He had a, he had a temperament that, um, yeah, he would make you switch on.
0: We, um, we then went into quite a decent run of results at the start of that season. And uh, we were talking earlier on, actually, we were sort of reminiscing about things that were going on off the pitch at the time. And we had a, you know, we had a decent win against Morecambe in the, in the following week. And then we went to Torquay. Um, yeah. We've got a 1-0 win down there. I don't know if you remember or would have spotted a group of blokes behind the goal that would uh, were dressed up in orange morph suits all in lycra, just sort of close to it. Is that something you remember? Actually, now you say that I do. Yeah, I remember that.
3: Because um, well, the reason I remember that game, again, is because for the first half, I didn't touch the bloody thing. I was just chasing shadows. And it was probably, like, half-time, like he said to me, because you've done some distance here, and I was tell me about it. It's boiling as well. And it was so hot. And then... Uh, there was a joke about it in the change room at the time someone went yeah well at least you're not stood there in a bloody morph suit and I was, <laughs> I was like well yeah that's true but yeah i remember it being a boiling hot day in torquay um
2: and yeah yeah load of, load of orange morphs- I mean, we had so james and i were in morph suits <clears throat> as were about three or four other friends and then ian turned up in a banana costume and it's like he didn't get the memo it was all a little bit odd actually behind that goal <laughs> um, and then a couple of other friends, a, a mate of ours and his missus, turned up in Pink Panther costumes, and the whole thing went a little bit nuts. But um, not least because Clovis, Clovis Camjo played out of his skin that day as well. It was all a bit of a, a day of firsts, I guess. It was all a bit nuts, but it was an, an unbelievable uh, day out and result, I suppose. I, I don't know if on the pitch, are you feeling that? Is that, you know, down by the coast winning 1 0, sun's out? Is that exciting? Or is that is the squad big on that? Or is that. No, 100%. Like, for me, there's, it's,
3: it's, there's nothing like going away from home and grinding that 1-0. It sounds so stupid as a strike. Obviously, you'd rather win three on four. But um, just it, to be fair, any win away from home, when you've gone, travelled somewhere, and like, that journey home is so much better. Because we've all been there when we've been hammered. I remember going to Portsmouth a couple of years later. and We got beat 4-0 or something. And the journey home is horrendous. You just I don't want to talk to my family on the phone. I don't want to talk to it. I'm, I'm miserable if I lose. So well, my family will know now. i dad, on their, whatever, girlfriend, whatever. I won't. Uh, call me if we've lost or text me yeah sometimes my girlfriend will just text me saying oh listen you're alright and then leave me for four hours just because she knows I've got to go over it first before I yeah. um, but yeah I remember getting hammered and the journey home's never so if you go away from home and you win like a good result a good performance everyone's in it together that feeling change of from that feeling on the way home there's nothing like it and, and funnily enough you say about that season it's all kind of coming screaming back to me uh, one of my favourite games of the whole entire season we went away to Northampton on the Friday night
1: uh, we're coming to that, don't worry, that's that's coming. <laughs> yeah, we went to, that. that well, that's what it's saying. That starts that season was brilliant. So, obviously, we had say Torquay for us, we were all down there for the weekend, dressed up like a bunch of idiots. That Saturday night out in Torquay afterwards was brilliant for us yeah. though, as well. Um, you did get changed at that point, didn't you? <laughs> <laughs> don't know if we'd got in many places dressed like that, but um, yeah, and I, look, and for us, we're similar age to you. I think we're a little tiny, or a bit slightly older than you, but at that kind of age we we're going out a lot so every weekend the game is like the event around everything else so it comes the next week and we've got Notts County at home uh, which was quite built up at the time because obviously that's when they had Sven I don't know if they'd signed Sol Campbell already or if he came like just after that but they'd certainly signed so a lot of yes, money on Friday because they were all talking about playing that's it yeah yeah. Uh,
3: it, he obviously he, did, he obviously didn't end up playing in that game but he'd signed on the Friday it was a done
1: deal yeah and and it was it was like it was Relative for Barnet, it was massive how much kind of like build up there was. I think we were all a bit just excitable because Barnet are doing well and it had been a couple of years since we were up that end of the league. Um, It was a bit bit of a bigger crowd. Knotts County brought a load with them. The sun was out. Again, I think we kind of picked up where we left off the day before uh, outside the ground beforehand with a few beers. And then the game itself was pretty nondescript for the most part. Barnet did well enough against, you know, the team that fancied to go and win the league. And that's the first game that you were back out on the bench after a good little hey, run of starting. Curious, mate. Obviously,
3: I told all my mates everything. I was going, "Oh man, yeah, this is like, supposed to be decent. They're like and all that." And uh, I played the last five or six, as you say. And he didn't tell me before. Right? Like usually, you get sort of wind of it on a Friday. I think I was still in the team Friday. I think we did the shaping. I was in the team on Friday, so I didn't. Like usually, like at the team. Hey, I don't even think he pulled me. He might have pulled me, or Lee Harrison, I think, might have pulled me, and. Uh, he said, listen, we're going to need you. You've got to keep your head. But uh, all right, right, ready to go back in. And I was like, oh my God. It was horrendous,
1: obviously. Yeah. And then because obviously you didn't come on, it was the 89th minute, I think I was looking it up earlier. So it was really late, which I mean, as a striker, if you come on that late, is there a little bit of you thinking like, what, you know, what do you want me to do? Show me on for 20 minutes. Yeah, I'm going to, I can go make an impact. Yeah. At that point, it, does that change your mentality coming on with such a short amount of time? I mean,
3: because you, when you're on the bench, right? and as I say, go coffee, forget this I hope it's not too often these days but when you are on the bench there's something in your mind because you want to prove a point I don't know if it's just me you want to prove a point and the longer you get the more chance you're going to have of proving that point um, so when you get like I'll always do a proper warm up at half time as if like I'm ready to go for in a minute from the get go and just 55 gets to 60 and you end up finding yourself watching the clock and with me it like fuels my rage like I feel like sometimes it can be a good thing when you get so wound up and so passionate because that sort of extra anger comes across um, and every five minutes goes past I seem to get angry. I'm like you've got to put me on now you have to we need a goal you've got to put me on the only time it's in it the corners a striker in the last minute or so is when we wind you up and you've got to do all the defending of the corners and you can only be the villain and you're there to chase that's that's tougher but when you when you always believe there's a goal in the game I mean I'd have loved to go on 20 minutes earlier and I was super frustrated at the time I was like they're giving me a minute you're almost like you're giving me a minute mate like come on Like, what am I expected to do and yet
1: yeah, there you go. Well, and obviously the ball goes up. I think it was maybe six minutes stoppage time. Um, and in the fourth of those, you get your chance in front of the North Terrace end. Casper Schmeichel in goal for Notts County. Uh, my recollection of it is you sort of poked it for his legs as, he, as he's come out. Could have it wrong. <laughs> it's been a long time since. But for uh, you, was- it, it felt massive for us on the terrace. And the, it, we were all on the side bit of the East Terrace. Went mental. One of the best goal celebrations we'd had for a while there after a couple of like nothingy seasons. You really felt yeah. someone was building for you on the pitch, obviously, how, how was that moment? Was that what, did you kind of feel having not really had much first team in the league or none before coming to Barnet? That was like your arrival. Like I'm here now, I've scored in this high profile game, Sven's in the stand. Was that a massive moment in your career? That was, that was, out afterwards, all that sort of sets in.
3: At the time, I don't think I understood the occasion. Like, I remember it coming back over and me trying to turn and hit it, but it like kind of skipped off the surface. So like you say, I've kind of like reached and lunged and like twisted and it's, I mean, it's a, it, I'm about eight yards out and it's rolled across the line. Um, it's gone through his leg. He's come out spread himself. I've turned and flicked it. It's gone through his legs. And I remember getting up and everyone's swamping me. But as I'm getting swamped, I've looked and Ian Hendon is like a bullet up the line. He's sprinting towards the corner flag of his arms in the air. And I'm like, kind of didn't realise how big a goal it was until I'm seeing him fly that way. Everyone come and bundle me. I'm like, Jesus Christ. Um, and then, yeah, you start to feel that. And then, I actually remember watching the video back of that highlights and everyone coming up to me at the end. It was like no one else had played. And I, I, I'd only played a minute. And Lee Harrison come up to me, put his arm around me. He goes, like, see, there you go. That's what I'm talking about. Uh, good attitude, stuff like that. And I'm like, realistically, like, I, I, mean, I just want to score goals. So that's all I would have done anyway. But uh, obviously your head can go the other way. You can about it or whatever. And because you did that, they they put you on like a higher pedestal. And I think I went back in the next week. I can't remember. I think I did, though. Um, yeah. And, and, and as I say, yeah. And then after that, all that sort of thing sunk in. I remember it being like one of the first games on the Football League show, because obviously in the preview. Um, I remember getting more texts than I've ever had of people before, people went to school with things like that haven't talked to me in two, three years. It was exactly that. And I was like, oh, wow. Yeah,
1: nice. Yeah. So, no, and it, it was, as I say, like for us at the time, uh, it, was, it was brilliant. I remember that that weekend, as I said, we were kind of pretty excited already that gave us another excuse to to go out that time you have to let us in, indulge ourselves a bit here jake with our own memories as well that uh yeah you know i remember it was great it was your dad's 50th i think and we were
2: all around it you was know. i think a fair few of us or certainly a couple in the group have been listening to a lot of reggae recently <laughs> leading into that um and i i don't know i mean you probably tell it better but go on well i don't know so obviously you yeah, scored the goal i can't remember what it
1: was and unfortunately we can't put music on the podcast for copyright issues to get taken off spotify and we don't want that to happen so um the tune is um heads high by mr vegas if you don't know it youtube it you'll quickly recognize and i don't remember how it started i don't remember what you, I think was. It was no i don't know i thought ross was the one but i know we we're in in craig's dad's garden and i just remember jumping around and i'm gonna do it i'm gonna embarrass so this probably the end of the podcast here but it went Jake Hyde knows the way to go. He mugged off Casper Schmeichel. Jake Hyde knows the way to go. Give him the ball and he'll score. Which, in I my opinion, him. is a That's really better good than Mr. Shot. Vegas, man. And, uh, you know, I was chatting to my mate this morning uh, from. Who I was friends with a uni at the time. He was a big Southampton fan, no link to Barnet at all. And when I told him we were doing the podcast with Jake Hyde, he texted me back those lyrics. So it was, it, was, it was out there, but it was out there to a select few, and it never really took off. And I remember a few weeks later, we were playing Bradford at home, and uh, we had a corner down the south stand end, and we were in that, and me and someone else. And I remember just singing it over and over on the corner, and you definitely looked up, Jake, a bit like, yeah, all right, you're singing my name, but I'm not really sure what's going on. So I don't know. I know the song. I actually,
3: <laughs> I actually used to play that song in my car, and at the time, I had a little Peugeot 207 at 206, I think it was. And I used to play that song and I used to love it, but I didn't know the words to the real song. So <laughs> when, I, you know, when I heard you lot singing it, I heard my name and I was trying to work out, it. to this day, I swear to God, until you text me, I still didn't know the names, to the, uh, the words to that song. And I was <laughs> and I've like, even because people have asked me in interviews when I've moved on to other clubs, oh, what's your best, uh, what's the best song clubs have had for you? What are the best songs the fans have had for you? And I've answered that for the first two times people have asked me that question, right? And they're like, how does it go? And when you don't know the name, the one's <laughs> complete Pratt So I stopped doing it. I was like, oh, probably this one and just choosing another one. But that used to be my favorite because at the time it was so specific. Like, I loved that tune. I absolutely loved that song and I couldn't work out the words for the life of me. So I started making my own words up, I think. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, yeah, no, it was a brilliant song. I remember that. I was so catchy um, and I'd always tell my old man, my old man my brother would come to most of the games and always say, listen, if you hear the song, listen out for what he says. Like de- I'm desperate to know the words, but listen. But my old man's death as a doorpost. He, he was <laughs> once and I was like getting raging at him. I was like, I'm telling
1: you, it's definitely getting Well, um, like it, was, it was us us lot within a group and I don't know if it, it caught on to the masses. Maybe the older fans at the time weren't so... Uh, to be fair,
2: mugged off Kasper Schmeichel is not the easiest of uh, words or most obvious of words to pick <laughs> like, up. No,
1: you know, it's personal to him, isn't it? <laughs>
2: Absolutely. I mean, he's, he's had a
3: rubbish career
1: since as well. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I to off that goal, yeah. It all went, went wrong after that, I think. But, um, but yeah, no, like i like to say that. That was one thing. And that, that whole weekend, I mean, I was um, a bit I'm embarrassed to admit it, but while we're outing ourselves on here, obviously we've been talking in the lead-up to this on Instagram through the Downhill Second Half uh, account we're actually friends on Facebook already, Jake. Um, and I think Craig is too. Yeah, well, yeah. That weekend in Craig's dad's garden, I think about 10 of us added you on Facebook the night. <laughs> um, and, and I was going to go through that route, but I thought there's just no way to explain it now. There's someone in their 30s. Why I'm still friends with a football I've never met. So uh, I, I don't use Facebook myself. I've
3: got so many people on there that I, I, I have never met. So I, um, I'm i more into Instagram now. And
1: like, do you know what? I've just got back to Twitter. Uh, well, I, I haven't used Facebook for years. But yeah, no, I didn't know. Yeah, Good. no, I think, I think there was a lot, a lot of that going on at the time. And because the next day as well, it's one of those weekends we've beat the game the day before, the night before, and then rather than going home, so I was at uni at the time. Didn't matter to me. I went to the pub on the Sunday, and uh, as we were friends with an ex-Barnet player on Facebook at the time, Neil Bishop, who'd gone to Knox County that summer, yeah. a, a row with him on his Facebook wall. Uh, when a few of us were giving it to him in the pub about the result the day before and stuff. So. An eventful weekend, and I'd, I'd put most of the blame on you for that goal. But it was it was, it was
2: uh, good events that led that led yeah. on from. Sounds like you boys had a hell of a season that year. <laughs> <laughs>
0: that, that was only like September when it, or something, yeah. like August at that point.
2: <laughs> season, yeah.
0: Well, I've got to try and bring it back to an element of normality here. Um, I've got to try and talk about football, actually. So uh, let's see how we get on. And um, like there was, we played Millwall in the week following in the Football League Trophy, and then. Uh, I've looked at it now. Um, Two minutes of playing time later on from that Notts County goal, you scored another one against Millwall. Um, And then we can come on to uh, the Northampton Friday night game. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Again, great memories for us. Um, I'm sure we've got all sorts of stories about being off the pitch. And you've already sort of mentioned it as, you know, a great game and a highlight from that season. Clearly, we went top of the league that night when we won 3-1. Um, what was that like for you that, that night? Because I remember it being pretty rowdy behind the goal for us. Um, just your experience of it would be great to hear about because I remember it I remember it fondly.
3: I remember, right? So obviously, um, we're talking 10 games into my professional career here, and I remember being stood down the tunnel next to Bayouac and Fenway, right? <laughs> and I, I looked up at this guy and he was talking, the way he talks to be fair, the way, the way he talks, but obviously he was talking aggressively to his teammates in like a friendly way but I was blown away by this guy. Like I just couldn't believe that he was good. I was, he was a footballer that he was, I was playing on the same pitch as him and I was just thinking like, how are you supposed to mark this guy here? And I, I was, we all stood in the tunnel When I remember it because there's no feeling like a, an away game uh, as I say at night, like the Tuesday night games or whatever because you can you, you, you don't really know your surroundings, you're down the tunnel, It's different music's going on, it's not the, it's not the sort of uh, comfort zone you're you're accustomed to see the lights going on, whatever. I'd never played in Northampton, obviously. And I'm stood there, and this big, massive geezer's just rapping along to his mates, right? Um, and like, he was quite funny. So I found myself like just staring at him, and our team's all focused, like looking ahead or whatever. And I'm like giggling at what he's saying, like a fan. And I'm stood there like giggling. And I think, okay, I get—I remember someone looked at me and I just looked straight forward, like trying to like not get caught. But I was like bamboozled by this guy because I'd <laughs> seen him a couple of years before. And then the first thing he did, funny enough, was Still to this day, one of the strangest things I've ever. I mean, I've played against him 20 30 times since, and I actually know him quite well now. But at the time, I haven't told him this story, but at the time, I remember looking at him and being like, Man, this is, this is incredible. And he, we, they took a goal kick, right? And I remember, I think it was Yakubu or one of the centre-halves, come screaming through, shouting his name, right? And he just went bang, put a seatbelt on him from a goal <laughs> kick, right? It went nowhere. The ball bounced, right? And then he walked him back and it bounced again. And he walked him back again, and he back again, and he was on the edge of our box, and he just turned and had a shot. And I was like, "He's the strongest man on the planet, Like literally. <laughs> the axe back ten feet, like, and hasn't touched the ball yet. And yeah, from, I was I was blown away by him. But that that night was really funny. Like, there was something like, about it. I was like, so you get it now. Like in, in football, it, it happens. Like everyone's sharp, everyone's on it. There's like an atmosphere. You know, you get this feeling. Twenty minutes in, you know you're gonna win. Like, it's strange. You can't really explain it, but you know you're going to win. Everything's sort of right. You feel good. You're flying about. you get getting chances. You go, mate, this is us. We've won this. We're winning this. No chance these boys are going to live with us. Um, and you kind of get, yeah, as I say, you get that strange feeling. But I'd never really had that before where anything could happen or whatever. And I remember flying about in this game, playing pretty well. And I, I remember thinking, mate, we're going to win this. We've got these lot. Um, and as I say, I think I come off at 2-1 with... 5-10 minutes to go and again Pliny went on and scored to make it 3-1 and I was stood at the corner flag at the time and I celebrated exactly how everyone else celebrated just jumping up and down but that game was a Friday night game which obviously you're not used to playing we'd just gone top so there was more emphasis on it Northampton were a big club nice stadium like it had everything and I remember leaving there after winning 3-1 being so comfortable playing so well as a team as a collective unit everyone being in it together and that feeling afterwards of going top of the league Again it was just a completely surreal new feeling for me that i hadn't experienced yet
0: did you think at that point that what was a, what was a, what was the squad feeling like? did you feel like right we can really kick on from here or obviously there's a long 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 way to go, but did you sort of feel like you had the elements in the squad to to, to really press on and, and make make a go of it that season
3: I mean I did, but I was naive so I thought we were going to win the league i am um, I was super naive and like I was like, yeah, we can beat anyone. Like it's is what it is, and I wouldn't. And that's why I think you need a a, a healthy mix of young and old players in a squad because, like you say, if you said to Gary we "Are we going to win this see- win this season?" He'd go, "Listen, I'd love to, and I'm, I'm going to try everything too." But there's no chance we win this league because um, he will know of other players, he will know of other teams, he will know people that get stronger wherever throughout the season. We have ten games in. Do you know what I mean we have thirty six games to play? But I'm not. Out, but we're winning the league. What do you mean? we've got to get less points than everyone else from now. Like, and I was just, and I even thinking. Um, but, again, like, different elements had different things. I mean, Albert Adoma, uh, we knew from even pre-season, he was going. He was seeing that his contracts and he was gone. Um, so I wouldn't look at that. I'd look at it and be like, oh, we've got a fantastic winger that is going to be playing higher. Not that, uh, as, as natural, by the way, Albert will always give us 100%, and I truly believe that, but naturally, from January onwards, when bigger clubs are looking at you and you're out of contract, you're going to look after yourself a little bit in attack. tackle. Even if it's not meant like in your head, whatever, you're going to look after yourself in the tackle. You're not as interested knowing you've got a move lined up. That sort of thing takes the element of achieving something out. Those little things play a massive issue, a massive part. Um, different things, like we had, I think we had like 95% of the squad out of contract that year. Um, and, and a few of the boys, like I say, uh, Micah, Paul Furlong, uh, again, Greeny, all them players were, they couldn't last the full season because they'd done it. They were, they were older legs, like, they were brilliant to have around and they were super fit for their age and what they'd achieved in the game was amazing and their knowledge you couldn't replace but their legs generally, right, we didn't have the backups to replace them when they started getting tired, when you miss a game, stuff like that, stuff like the biggest ones for Notts County would have. So, uh, again, stuff like that you don't realise but at the time, yeah, I thought we were going to go and win it all, mate. I was like, oh, here we go, great, brilliant."
1: to, just to ask about um, Gary Breen because we had Lee Harrison on last week and, and actually what you've just said kind of echoes what he said about the the squad that there are a lot of talented players there but that, that thing about maybe people knowing they're going to move on and that affecting your psychology a bit. But um, I'm interested because no one's really talked about Gary Breen and like he played a lot in the season before and he was amazing. I mean he kept us up almost on his own at centre back the year before his quality was undoubted. Um he doesn't strike us from the outside, I think, as like an obvious match with Ian Hendon. Did he have a big voice on the training ground? Was he, was he kind of involved as an assistant manager or, or was he there? From what we got from Lee Harrison, it was maybe that he was there because we wanted him to carry on playing and develop his coaching or, or did he have quite a big input to the team? No, Gary had a, Gary had a
3: bigger input on the players. I think Lee Harrison and um, Hendo ran it as staff. I think Lee Harrison was more like Hendo's assistant but Breeny was one of them he was like the mix between the two he was almost like an advanced captain he was one of the smartest people I've met on a football pitch he would every little trick he could do he would do he would have work right so for example first kick free kick he'd be stood there right if you heard the word jockey yes, yeah? so we he'd be like we trained on the training all the time, and he used to tell us all about it he used to tell us about when he did it at West Ham when he did it and obviously everyone would listen but he used to say right if you hear the word jockey, we're all running up. So as soon as he runs up to kick the ball, we are sprinting that way. Everyone's going to get caught offside. Okay. So he's like, as you come out as well, bring them out. Like, make sure you hit them in case the midfielder runs in. But as soon as he heard the jockey, he said, the first one, unless it's not on, I will always say jockey. So he stood there, go, make sure you jockey man, make sure you jockey man, right? And then as he ran up, the player would run up, we'd all sprint that way, the ten yards offside. Before every game, I remember this to this day. Barina used to go and find that he used to ask someone to find out what the referee's first name was. Right, so smart because every single time he'd come because he was obviously a big name in League Two. He played. He obviously failed his medical into Milan, but he played in the World Cup. Scored in the World Cup. Um Those little things for little referees were wins. So if he went down and was like, Andrew, how you doing, mate? You good? You you all right? Yeah, how's family? All that sort of thing. It would make them feel so big and special that this guy knew who they were. Right? That he would every decision went to Brini. It was crazy. Breany would get away with scandalous decisions because as a referee. But it's it's so easy, but it's a really, really good ploy. And I learned so much of Greenley. I learned lots and lots of him um, as a player in that season. Uh, and I kept in contact with him for two or three years after obviously I don't I haven't got his contacts now, but because I learned so much of him. And he was more of a, a leader throughout the boys and if there was ever an issue. Um, and he led by example as well. I mean he was what I think 36, 35 at the time and he was the fittest in our team. He would run in pre-season he'd run everyone away. So He's got that big gangly stride. I mean, he wouldn't like the doggies, like the short, sharp ones. But if he had to stretch out, he'd would uh, run everyone away. So Breeny was one that I really appreciated as a player. And if I'm honest, even still, if I've, I've had the luxury of playing with some really, really good players, but if I still did my eleven, I would have Breeny in my best eleven I've ever played with. I'd have Breeny still in there to this day because of what he brought to the team, other than his legs and his qualities. Like it just literally his, just his his mind
2: was special, very special footballer. I suppose we've mentioned a few players that season that either had done great things, your Furlongs, your Breens, or went on to do pretty special things, your, your Alberts, your, your Yannicks, etc. Um, who were your kind of pals in that group? And uh, was, there a bit, was there a social life then? What was it, what was it like amongst the boys? Uh, the social life, what, I mean, if I'm honest, in my whole career, I've
3: never had a better social life and a better bunch of lads than the time I come back to Barnet, and, and we had single-handedly, I've been involved in lots single-handedly, the best team spirit the best changing room I've ever been a part of. So I will come back to that because that was the second time I was there. That's the Graham Stacks, the Kurtz Weston. People are still talking to them. And, and our changing room was amazing. And I can't stress that enough. It was it was the best changing room ever. Um, but that one before, because it was such a mix, because you had the older guys that had been there, the younger guys that hadn't done anything, the other boys that were potentially moving on, it was, everyone was nice, everyone was good, but it wasn't like... After a win, you'd all go and grab a beer and you'd stay together. Okay, it wasn't that type of change for him. It was brilliant um, in the fact that I mean, I remember getting along really well with Joe De Vera. Um, I remember getting along with uh, Hardy. Do you remember Danny Hart? Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: We used to I see him out about quite
3: a bit. He's from Underhill, so he was like the boy about there. But um, he, I remember getting on well with these sort of lads. As a young lad, um, Hughie. I remember getting along well with Hughie uh, and 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 Nicky and John Flynn and these sort of boys. But I never stayed in contact with many of them. Um, I'd see them about or whatever and say hello. I never stayed right, really good friends. But as I say, the time before that, sorry, the time after that when I was at buying it, I had some friends for life and we had a changing room that you'd win on a Saturday and someone would go, right, who's out for a couple of beers afterwards? And 12 of us stick our hands up. And we'd be sat there laughing and joking, coming in Monday, telling stories about the weekend, ready to train and ready to go to to war again. And that was special. That was really, really special. And you don't find that
1: very often. Yeah, looking forward to hearing some of those stories in a little while when we get on to that bit. Um, So, I mean, with that season itself, obviously, it, it for whatever reason, you know, like and you've said a few things there, and you said Lee Harrison said last week, the, the slide down the table kind of got more and more severe as time went on. Like we'd have little spells where we felt we were kind of getting out of it or getting a few results together. And then it wasn't, I feel like for you, looking at the stats from the season, you're playing time, you're involved kind of throughout, but, it was a lot more off the bench. And I guess as a 19-year-old, when you got Jono Flynn and Paul Furlong, who are good players at that level, it's going to be difficult maybe to be consistently in the side. You came back in towards the end and got a goal against Chesterfield at Underhill, um, sort of in the running uh, where we kind of got a result that day, but then we started losing again, uh, which took us right down to the final day. Um, it, among the group, was there kind of that fear of relegation that season or, or was it kind of because we had been so far away from it until right at the end, it wasn't really on the cards?
3: Again, I was, uh, so I remember getting, I had done my ankle against uh, Dagenham, funnily enough. And uh, again, this is Ian Hendon playing mind games a little bit on me. Here. Um <laughs> It was my last, so this is a really strange fact that not many people would know, but I remember rolling my ankle bad, like it ballooned up and it's swelling in my sock um, and turning to the bench and being like, I've done my ankle. And he was like, you're going to have to wait half time. And I had to, I was hobbling around for the last 20 minutes. Like, they wouldn't take me off. And the ball come in and I was hobbling towards the box. And it was one of them where I was just sort of hobbling and it landed on my head. And I just poked it in and scored, right? Two minutes later, the whistle went. That was 1-1. And it took me up half-time. And, I, and it was about seven games to go in the season and I never got back. I never got back. So my last ever touch for Barnet that year, my last ever touch for Barnet at the time, was a, was a goal. And Ian Hendon was coming in because he, to be fair to him, was desperate for me to be back fit for, for the running. He wanted everyone, obviously, to get up. But he knew that I could nick a goal and that he wanted me for the running. So every day he'd come in and go, that's going to be a trivia question couple years, uh, years to come down Barnett, whose last ever touch for Barnett was a goal. Mm-hmm. Um, and he was basically saying if I don't get back in a, in a roundabout way, if I don't get back, you're getting released, mate. And I was like, after all I've done, I was like, hold on a minute. But that was his mind games um, on me to sort of push me every day to be back fit, to be back fit. And I actually. Um, did get myself back fit for the final game of the season. Um, Ian Hendon got sacked the week before. Yeah. Um, And Paul Falkhoff pulled me in and said, I really like you, but you haven't trained for two months. Um, Gary Breen's told me, we've got to have you in the team, um, or in the squad at least. Uh, But I don't know if you're fit. I don't want to risk it. So I'm going to go with another way. And they end up playing one down the middle, and they end up playing Albert Jarrett, and Albert Doma and I don't remember if Yannick was on the bench or if he'd already gone back or whatever. But they played one down the middle, um, and we ended up winning the game. And Albert Jarrett scored, uh, and I think that was the uh, yeah. And obviously we stayed up on the last day, but um, but yeah, no, I I, I remember that uh, that season so strongly, and um, and that yeah, a really strange one for me. But that final
1: goal, uh, that was my last touch for Barney. Yeah, because we were going to ask about that because we kind of. We didn't know about the ankles. We were thinking, oh, was there a big kick-off in the change room in or something? Because, yeah, looking at the stats, it, it, it just finished, there you score, and then that's it, you come off a minute later. But that does make a lot more sense. And obviously, yeah, we all, I think, remember quite well that end of the season. and We were at Grimsby the week before where we lost 2-0 and they were all on the pitch and it was hideous. And it looked like it was mm-hmm. definitely all over. And then that Rochdale game, I know we got the late goal, but Burton and beaten Grimsby. We were fine, we were staying up anyway. Um, so, yeah, obviously that, that was the end of your first Barnet career was in terms of your departure. Where did that kind of come from? Because I know in the summer we had the change of manager. That Stimson came in uh, after Fairclough had kind of stepped in for a bit. In your eyes, or, or what you know, who was it who made that decision to let you go at that point? I had
3: no idea. I couldn't believe it. I just got. Um, I was the second league goalscorer. I scored ten league goals in my first ever season. I'd um, of nine league. I can't remember nine or ten league goals, and I'd. I just got young player of the season. So it's my first award. Um, I felt I'd overachieved for what I was brought in to do due to the fact I was supposed to be a young lad to bring impact off the bench. And then um, everyone saying goodbye to me at the end of the season, because obviously no one knew if they had contracts or not because there wasn't a manager in place. Uh, even Paul Fairclough like goes, Listen, you've had a brilliant season, lad. Like, we'll be in contact, whatever, whatever. Never heard anything. And it just kind of fizzled out and got, I, got, I, I ended up not getting a new deal when I was. I was blown away by it. Like, listen, I have no idea to this day that it's, that's football. Like, a new manager could have come in and go, right, everyone out, contract to one out. I want to bring him home. Then, I think he ended up signing his son. who was a striker, to be honest. Yeah, remember that. Might have something to, something to do with it. Um, he was really good as well. It was <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> big impact. Heard, heard that, but, but yeah, bad <laughs> guy against you. And I mean, Jesus Christ, my dad was a manager. I know I'd take it. I'd, I'd use it. So. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, so yeah, didn't end up getting kept on. But um, funnily enough, at the end of that season, I ended up at Dundee uh, and the reason was because Matty Lockwood called me up. And Matty Lockwood took me there from my time at Barnett. He was a player as well. A real good player. Effort. Can open it to the beans, mate. He was very, very good. Very technically good. But Matty was the most bothered guy about football I've ever met. He did not care if he played. As long as he got paid, he was happy. <laughs> One of them but the thing is he would never be unprofessional about it because he was so good so like even if he couldn't be bothered to play he'd still be an eight out of ten it was it was crazy and he kept himself a good nick so like he would never argue but he'd always want a new contract because yeah. that's what he was but yeah like very very good player and yeah he became system manager up in dundee um and he called me up and he said up here it's a bit different you can actually play three league games on trial and i was like what and he was like yeah yes yeah, yeah. so we can sign you and you play three league games on trial. We, our strikers got injured. I told the guy about it. Yeah, he wants to bring you up. So I went up and played. I hadn't trained in a couple of months. I went up and played three league games. Uh, we played top of the league. Uh, and I scored a brace. And we won 2-1. And, and then the following game, um, we won 2-0 and I scored again. And he was like, right, well, yeah, yeah well, you got a contract, mate. And I was like, oh, great.
2: So I stayed up there for another year after that. But yeah, Matt Lockwood gave me the call. He was a system manager and he put me in. Uh, so so skipping back to when you came back to Barnicks obviously that's that's a bit of the focus if i get it right i think that's 2012 i have got written down sold a dream question mark because it was all a little <laughs> bit of a, a a weird um weird pre season as a Barnet fan as well because it it felt like things were being rushed or not quite didn't, something felt didn't, didn't feel quite right i think mark Robertson was the manager and there's lots of talk about let's invest in youth and let's get the coaching right and and it, it didn't feel like a normal a normal situation with a new manager, I suppose. Um, is that unfair? Is that weird? You know, did, did it feel like that the other side? Well, i tell you what I remember about that season.
3: So, first of all, Paul Fairclough, I think, was doing all the recruitment. Now, I've got a lot of time for Paul. He brought me back to Barnett, again, my England C caps. Um, and I always got along really well with him. Um, now, he'd done all the recruitment. He was the one that called me straight away. and was like, listen, we'd love to have you back. Um, we're building something here through the youth. Yada, um, yada, yada, yada. He said, oh, we got Mark Robson in. Um, and, and, and that's how it came. But Mark Robson didn't know me for Toffee. So Paul Fairclough told me I had a contract and I ended up coming in on trial. Um, luckily, I, I come in from trial and my first game I scored two, three goals. Mark Robson was like, yeah, all right, we'll have a little else. Like, we'll, we'll give you another week. Um, scored again. And then Ricky Holmes, who uh, I was linking up with quite well at the time, and Mark Byrne were like, you've got to sign him. You have to sign him. And I remember Ricky, like in a training session, because like, Ricky was quite a loud character. I really like Ricky. He was a loud character. But me and him were like on fire this one training session. It was like 11 v 11. And we were just one twos. We, we were about four new up. Um, and Holmes is going, oh, it's frightening to watch. And he shouted like mad stuff from side because Holmes at the time was the main man. And he's going, that's frightening to watch. We got, we we got, we got, me and him. And like just shouting stuff when the man just Right. And uh, I remember we played, we'd done about four one twos and he was about eight yards out and he scuffed the shot. And it comes straight into my path and I scored. And he's like, oh, we're on a bit of string, mate. We're on a bit of string. And was loud about it. But in a roundabout way, he'd done me a favour. Because he was like making it louder. And that's what I wanted to say, but you can't say that. So <laughs> he was like, he was like, kind of done that for me. Uh, and yeah, I ended up signing. And me and him had a fantastic relationship for the rest of the season. Well, he only played till January for so an injury. But we had a fantastic um the race of the season and he, still to this day one of the best partnerships ever we had a way of he would come into me I'd get it down I'd play it wide and Holmes he played he was right foot but he played on the left and what he always used to do is he'd line up a defender and they'd always think he was going to go in because he'd run with it on his right foot and he'd drag it down the line and just cross it near post right and I kind of changed my game because I'd wait 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 I'd go to the back and then as soon as he was about to cross it I dart across my man and I scored well that season I think I scored was it 15 goals, 14 in the league, in league two? And most of them were coming across the near post when, uh, when Holmesy just whipped it in. And we had a fantastic, as I say, we had a fantastic relationship. But I remember him pushing that deal over the line for me, yeah. Just for that one, that one training session, him being so loud and us being doing well. But what I would say is I've got a lot of time for Mark Robson. I, I don't think he was built out to be a manager. Don't think he was a manager. But he was still, to this day, probably the best coach I've ever worked with on the training ground. And, mm-hmm. and, Disrespect to anyone else, he was that good. And I think it went on to show because he worked with the England 21, he worked with Premier League players all the way up, and his day-to-day on the training ground coaching was amazing, absolutely amazing. But he he like you say, he built that he he what he did wrong with it is he he come in and built it through academy kids because he'd only worked in the academy. So come to start of the season, we only had academy players. We had players that had never played in the football league. We had like eight players from West Ham that were academy boys, never played in the football league. And then you had me, Holmesy and Berner, who had probably played a hundred games between us. Other than that, we had no one. Um, we were naive and different things like that. Then he brought in a leg called John Nurse and Nursey was coming toward the end of his career, didn't rework. And his coaching was fantastic, but he didn't have that fear factor. You? you know, we're like, shit boys, we better be on it today. Like, he's going to bollock us half time. Um, and and, and what he did do, what, what Mark did do was, was change that. And each week we'd try and progressively get better. We'd sign Johnny Oster, who was an unbelievable boy, one of the best players I've seen live. Um, Graham Stack, who was a character um, and a fantastic character to have around, but he was a stone cold winner, first and foremost. Um, Kurtz Weston, who had league experience and was a runner. Kurtz didn't really hit the ground running, but he'd done enough in the game. And he was starting to change that. Unfortunately, we went twelve without a win.
1: Well, and we're going to say as well that you, you know, a lot of the names you mentioned there certainly stack. Oster, I think David Stevens as well. I might be wrong. They, they all came in once the season started because we lost. I think after six, certainly it was like played six, drawn one, lost five, and we'd been really poor. I remember like that. It really, you were kind of resigned even then from in the stands, thinking like this is. But as players going into that season with the really bad start we had, was there any kind of, I know obviously it's a lot of young lads, so maybe it's that thing you were saying about your first spell where you're, you don't care, you're young, you, you think you can beat anyone. Or was there a bit of a fear going into that first game of the season, which I think that year was Port Vale, of thinking this could be a struggle and are, are we ready to compete in League Two? No, so I, again,
3: I don't know if this is just me, but I've never, ever gone into a game, ever in my whole career thinking we're gonna lose this, ever. In the whole season, you might have a bad start, but we're like, you like kind of shake it off. You're like, come on, lads, we gotta get going here. Like, you never feel like you're gonna get relegated. You never feel like you're gonna lose a game. I personally don't anyway. Um, no matter what odds are against you. Now, I knew we were missing a few players, yes. I could see us getting stronger as we went. We were missing characters. More so than anything, we were missing characters. Because we had some good players, um and we needed to find the right formation and things like that we were just it was just too many things that weren't clicking we hadn't worked out the formation we hadn't worked out the best team we hadn't worked out the personnel we had players that weren't good enough for the level um and we didn't have enough leaders when it was to against the wall stuff fortunately we did manage to pick that up um later on and as I say Mark Robson for me wasn't a manager but what a brilliant coach and what a nice guy as well um so I've got all the time in the world if I see him now I'd I'd love to catch up with him. He's a great, great uh, And I kind of felt bad for him because it was his chance of management and it didn't go well and then he, he got completely overtaken by me coming. I mean, unbelievable. But um, he was, that was it. He was a nice guy and you know what they say about nice guys. So football's a ruthless industry as a business. Um, and yeah, he, uh, he, uh, he but training-wise, it was fantastic. Set pieces everything. To this day, I'm not going to tell you what it is, but to this day, I still do something that he taught me from a set
0: piece. <laughs> Can't tell you. It, 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 it sounds. Um, I, I think as Barnet fans, we sort of recognised that, and we did hear, hear a lot of things about, you know, his coaching methods being really strong, but perhaps the management side was was not quite quite there for him. But then, in October, um, we make an announcement that Edgar davis is going to come in and, and share the management responsibility. I mean, I remember, I remember hearing that and just sort of thinking it was a wind up. Um as a, as players and for you yourself how did you find out about that moment and what what was, what was going through your head when you realised you were going to be playing with Edgar Davids I didn't realise I was going to be playing
3: with him I had no idea what was going on we see him at the training round two or three days earlier He's, Bentley was there whatever And we thought he was doing like a photo shoot or something because he was bowling around Bentley was parked diagonally in the chairman's spot like what <laughs> guy um, but so we, someone was like, oh, yeah, he's, I think we're signing him. Like laughing and joking. All the boys are cracking up, like joking. Like, yeah, oh, yeah, we'll probably sign Davids. Um, so we had no idea. Three days later, uh, we got in in the morning, as you do, and everyone was like, right, lads, everyone in the room. we've got a meeting. Uh, Robbo coming in and was like, right, the chairman's just uh, informed me that we're going we're gonna to bring in another coach. He said, like, we're going to bring in another coach. He'll be sharing a management role with me. Um, just to help us along in a minute in the, in the particular period we're in, blah, blah blah, and we're like, all right, cool. Next meet you know, Edgar Davids walks in, and we're like, holy hell, right? <laughs> Mental. And I was like so starstruck for about ten seconds, and then he went to the whole room. Right before we start, no one call me gaffer, no one call me Edgar, and no one call me Davids. Right, otherwise you're getting fined. From now on, it's Mr. or Sir. Whole room giggled. He stood there, stone face. And he was like, and he was like it's Mr. or Sir. Term of respect in my country days, Mr. or Sir. And we were like, everyone's like looking at themselves and no one would say anything. And then when we walked out, I think Stacky turned around and went, so if you've got the board trainer, we have to go Mr. or Sir. <laughs> and he's like, yeah, mate. He goes, Mr. or sir, to you. And he was like, all right. No one said it for about a month. Everyone was running around going, yeah, 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 ER, yeah. And no one said it for about a month. Everyone was too embarrassed to say it. Um, and he commanded respect. But what he didn't realise is he didn't need that. Because before he walked in from what he's done in the game, we already had the utmost respect for him. And that almost went the other way. Um, and But he... But the one thing I would say about David is when he came here, he trained with us for the first time. And he didn't kick the ball in ages, but he would celebrate a goal with us. He would celebrate a goal in training, run off screaming golazo, right, as if he was still playing for you. Like he'd, <laughs> all the drains he gave away glasses would be on, and he'd be celebrating. And if you celebrate a tra- goal in training, it just don't happen. You're a bit of a you're a bit of a weirdo, if I'm honest. If you celebrate, <laughs> you train. Hey, you should be scoring goals, but he celebrated it like he just scored in the Champions League. And I'm thinking, your career. You just scored a goal against a 17-year-old defender that's barely chambered the first team. And, uh, you're celebrating, and he just—I think he just loved playing everything about the game. So
2: there's, yeah. there's a very—I uh, don't—I don't think we're going to worry about it being a rival podcast. But the Magic Sponge, there's Graham Stack on there, uh, oh. and uh, it's well worth a listen. A little bit about uh, David's where he, there's a, there's a few bits he says, but I think. Look, let's not go into it too much, but it aligns very closely with the sort of sentiment of the things you've said uh, there as well. Um, clearly, a legend in the game, but maybe a little bit odd that he was enjoying it quite as much at, at Barnet in, in sort of uh, Division Three or League Two, and then and then the conference after. But then maybe that's the nature of a winner. You want to win, and he was a winner. He was one hundred percent a winner. Like I am talking
3: in training, it actually one of the boys, Curtis Weston, right? So David smashed a young lad in training, and we were all like. On it, like, is he serious? Like, you s- smashed an 18 year old kid, he's going to cry for his mum, right? And because of that, Curtis Weston, who again is a power mind to this day, went in and smashed Davids, right? And Davids looked at him and went, Okay, next time he got the ball, he ran up and smashed him, right? And like, just walked over him, right? And we're like, Jesus. And I'm talking to the tackle this, a red card on a Saturday, right? Just walked over him, right? Didn't say anything, tried to get on the ball. And I was like, ooh, right? And then Curtis went and smashed him again. And we were like, he was getting naughty to the point where we thought we were going to have to break it up. right?" Because Curtis was at the team. He wasn't playing well. I I was with Curtis Swindon. I know what Curtis was capable of. But he wasn't himself. He wasn't playing well. He was, was out of the team. His confidence was terrible. He'd have, he'd have time on the ball and he'd just kick it out of play. Like he was so down in the dumps. And this day, I think he just lost it. And he just kept smashing Davids. And Davids kept smashing him. He actually flipped it they never said a thing to each other. Birch was in the team on the Saturday had nowhere and he kicked right on and that was the best and, that, and from then on he never come out of the team and that launched his barnet career and that was the type of guy Davids was. Like if you were doing it in the game, yeah, he would do it to you but if you did it back to him he wouldn't go, you can't yeah? do that. He'd wear it and he'd be like, all right, cool. Let's do it. Like, that's fine. I'm doing it to you. Let's see who wins. And he was, the pitbull was, was him. He would. He just wanted to win. He, he used to do silly little forfeits, like. Um, the losers, if, uh, you had to pick a partner, and the losers had to clean each other's boots after the game. If you lost a final, you'd have to clean the other person's boots. <laughs> he was right. We beat his team, and we were all squared up. And Stacky was squared up with him, and he was like, "Yeah, coming in this day, you better clean my boots." And he's like throwing his boots off and like gloves and all that. And he's like, "Now I'll take the whole team for a Nando's instead, and I'll pay." And, Stacky, and everyone's going, "Yeah, all right, ledge." Like i buzzed and Stacky's like, "Fuck no, I want him cleaning my boots." <laughs> So he gave him to clean his boots for like bragging rights over, um, over a free Nando's or anything like that. And in the end, he didn't do it. He took some to Nando's and it was all sweet. But he was, um, he was that type of... He, he, to be fair, he, he, I, I, he was a very strange... It was an unbelievable experience. I've got so many stories about it. It's an unbelievable experience. But the one thing I will say is to this, that he made me a better player. He, he improved. Those, that year and a half I was under him, him and his coaching staff Bully and Dick, they made us Beth Every single person can hold their hands up and say they walked out of there a year and a half later, I bet, let Fact. We went over at 45 minutes every single day. Same thing. We were bored of our tits for a warm-up. It would be, um, it would be like uh, possession, but like in position. So they'd have the ball. They'd kick it over there. Everyone would have to sprint and jockey and see where they were. So you knew exactly where you had to be wherever the ball was on the park. We did it 45 minutes every day. Then they gave us the ball. So... For example, he'd pass the ball around the pitch and everyone would have three movements each time. So when Dave Stevens took, a, took the ball across from the centre-half, if he took a narrow touch, you'd have a movement. If he took a big touch, you'd have a dip. And then if he took another... If he put it in there, if he drove with it, you'd have another movement. Um, and in the end, we ended up playing some frightening football and it was no shock that we beat every team in the top half and lost to every team in the bottom half. We'd always beat the better teams because... They the teams who wanted to play football, and we were actually better at playing football than they were because the way he drilled us. The bottom half teams didn't want to play football, they wanted to beat us up, and we weren't as good at that. So we lost to all the bottom half teams and beat all the top half teams in that season. And it was incredible because, as I say, we were playing some ridiculously good football, but we weren't getting always the right results. Um, and, and what I would say about him is he made us all better players. He definitely made me a better player. We'd be out there for two hours on Friday, everyone hanging, stood there all week. Trained so hard, two hours on a Friday, I'd be knackered, and we'd turn up for Saturday for whatever reason. We'd run a team into the park, um, and yeah, he was—he was—it wasn't so much his, him as a coach. It was—it um, was his coaching stuff around him, but his philosophy was bloody brilliant about football. It's fantastic. And before every game, he used to put up posters, right? He'd he put up these massive posters, and each each one would have like the starting eleven, and then a line of what he wanted them to do today, right? Maybe there, there, and there. These two, everyone would have a line. I'd have a whole page, right, as a striker. I'd have a whole page. And he'd say stuff like, Heidi, you're lucky. He goes, um, I'm going to be playing in the hole behind you today, and there's only two players in the whole world who can play in the number 10 role. And he, I'd be like, oh, yeah? And he was like, yeah. Me and Ronaldinho. deadly." <laughs> that was his team talk. Deadly serious. Only two of us. And someone like, he'd walk out, and someone would go, he never played in the number 10 when he was at his best. <laughs> and then he, um, he'd always say that. And on my bit, he'd go, Heidi, what I want you to do today he was like, "Do you remember Van Persie, right?" And I'd be like, "Yeah, I remember Van Persie." And he'd be like, "So when they get the ball here, want you to make that run, Van Persie off the back and come over volley." He goes, "Do you remember Van Basten?" And I'd be like, "Yeah, yeah, yeah." And he'd be like, "Right, what he used to do is walk across the back four, and then as we got close, he'd dart in behind." And then he'd go, "Do you remember?" And he'd go, "Um, do you remember Bergkamp? Dennis And I'd be like, "Yeah, yeah, yeah." And uh, he'd like he'd be like, "He gets the ball, he knows when to turn. Yeah, see the goalie, you thing. He goes, I want you to play like these three today. He'd walk out and I'd be like, are they not three of the best all-time strikers? He wants to be like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> a Cobra, i think laughing in League Two at the time. Does he know we're playing in the League Two? Like, he's just asked me to be three of the best Dutch strikers of all time in <laughs> one. Um, and that's what he was like. But he was deadly serious. But he, he, he meant the movement. He meant the run. He meant put it in your mind. And he did. He pushed me and he made me a better player. My movement under him was the best it's ever been. But we all knew exactly where to be when each person had the ball. Um, and, and even Andy Idom, for example. Andy Idom wouldn't have had the career he had today without Davids because he made him a right-back. He would have never been a right-back. He got rid of Barry Fuller, which all of us believe, because Baz is a hell of a fullback. He got rid of him and was like, no, it's old school. We need a modern-day right-back. And he made years a right-back. And just, I've seen him play a couple
1: of times this year. He's, he's unbelievable at the minute and he, I think he'll get a move. <laughs> you talk about um, it improved lots of players um, and we'll come on to the improvement. I think James is going on to in a minute about improvement we had in that season on the pitch, in terms of results, and you talked a bit about beating some of the teams. A player who we could argue didn't maybe improve under Edgar Davids though uh, was Collins John, who talked about Dutch strikers, who came in. He was, I think, it was the first game Davids had been announced. We had Plymouth at home. Davids was in the stand because we had season tickets by that point in the main stand on the other side of the ground, and um, we could we were literally sitting there. And I remember watching Edgar Davids from my seat as much as watching the game because it was so surreal that. He sat 10 yards from us at Barnet. It's just all really weird. But Collins John started the game against Plymouth and limped off after about 10 minutes. Uh, Not looking in the best nick, shall we say. And I think he only played once more in the FA Cup a few weeks later. Could you shed any light on on the Barnet career of Collins John? Because it's a bit of an enigma to the average fan. He was the most
3: unfit player I've ever come across in my whole career. His first (laughs) session... He turned up at the end of the session to do the sh- shooting drill, right? And he was too unfit to do the shooting drill. He got cramped in a finishing drill where you're not running, right? With the ball's getting played to you and laying back. He was so unfit. He couldn't reach the goal at the start. And I was blown away. I was like, because I didn't know who he was. I didn't even recognize him. I knew the name Collins John. I had no idea that was him because um, he looked like he'd eaten Collins John. And, um, <laughs> and I was... and. And they were like, mate, that guy scored against like, United in Arsenal in the Premier League. And I was like, who's that guy? And they were like, yeah, that guy. And I was like, that guy there. And I was like, no, <laughs> I was like, there's no hope. Share me videos. And I'm like, yeah, that's not the same guy. I was like, that's not the same guy. That's his brother. And um, he w- we were doing a shooting job. And I remember, and obviously, I was the leading goal scorer in the club. I was playing up top of my own. I take it personal. If he comes in, he's challenging from my position, right? Always telling me, oh, mate, you better watch out. This guy scored against United in the Prem," And I'm expecting to see this world beater. He walked down, he was so unfit, he was blowing, getting cramped, and Stacky was like mugging him in this. Stacky was the best guy ever, but was so ruthless. Like, <laughs> if he, he'd be like if you shot it at him, yeah, he'd like say, and it was like easy, he'd save it with his head and like just, just wouldn't even like bat an eyelid at it. He'd be doing the most dumb stuff to like completely mug you off. He'd be like laughing as you shot. Like, as, you, as he ran up to it, he'd be like giggling to himself and like laughing. And like, he, he was so unfit though. Like, it was incredible. Like, he, he it looked like he had played for 20 years and done no exercise. And obviously, because of his name, obviously, New Davids, whatever, they, I think they were connected in a way. Um, I don't think he respected the level we were playing at enough. So he just went, hey, he'll be fine. It's, it's some crap level. We'll be good. He'll get his fitness free games. <laughs> he off then, he trained and trained and trained and trained, come back, trained some more. But it was still miles off it. Couldn't run a channel, like he couldn't he couldn't move, like he was really, really unfit. And then he played they 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 brought him back in on the Friday and said he's gonna play with you tomorrow in the FA Cup and we went two up top. And like he said, again, after half hour, forty minutes, it was so obvious that he was killing us. Um I, I can't remember if he came off at half time or come off into like early second half or but he never played again. And it was more through performances and stuff like that than anything else, but he just wasn't fit. He was just and when I say I wasn't fit, I'm being kind. He was yeah. know, in a bad way. Yeah. <laughs> so, like, then, but we was horrible. And he, he was, to be fair, he was half funny, like, because he was so confident in a shooting duel. Like, he'd score one and he'd celebrate as well, but he'd be like, oh yeah, and he had like this Dutch accent. <laughs> I was really going to do it. He had this Dutch accent and um, every time he score, he'd be like, oh yeah, don't worry about that, mate. He'd be like, yeah, man, you're later. See you later. And he'd be like, tell him <laughs> goals he scored previous. And he'd be like, <laughs> Demonstrations and he'd be like, Yeah, Old Trafford, Man United, bang, see you later. And we'd be like, hey, What tell you saying? But it was it was incredible, thing think, that he'd done that
2: because he was a very different player at this time. I know, James, you want to crack on with the rest of the season, but there's, I think Ulrich or Yulia, as I think he might have been called, uh, the part of the coaching staff deserves a, a mention. The guys that, well, we met him. So we, we were actually a uh, We'd been in the hospitality or something, which was just an excuse to have a bit of a sauce up at the game, I think. And um, we were in the, in the Durham suite at Underhill. And it was a really weird, it was a really weird afternoon because um, I think that the Edgar Davids bit anyway was interesting. For, for reasons that still aren't completely clear to me, Alistair Campbell, the, the politician, was, um, was, was in the Durham suite as well. So we we're, we're having a weird chat with him, which was, to be fair, I have to say, uh, a, a really lovely guy. And um, and then Ulrich comes in and uh, despite I'd say he's an absolute gentleman. Everything about him was what he had. The Smirnoff ice was a little bit odd. But other than that, he was a really, really uh, lovely guy. He must have stood with us for, for half an hour and just talked it through. And, um, you know, I won't go too much into what it was like with, with Davi's because that was a little bit odd. He, it was a bit strange. But Ulrich, what a, what a gentleman he was and uh, what, a, what a scholar of football as well.
3: Brilliant guy. Honestly, fantastic. And he was, he had this, Lust for life, I haven't seen in a long time. He would bounce in every day and be one of the funniest people on the training ground, but serious, but like so funny. And like to the point of because he was so funny, the silly things he did that weren't funny were funny. Do you know what I mean? Like he was obviously a little bit out of shape himself, but like knew that, but like still thought he could play. And like his demonstrations, he'd like doing it at like such a slow tempo, but he'd be like making noises to make himself sound faster. Like stuff like (laughs) (laughs) that. And he'd be like, not moving. But like, that's, that's, and he was just brilliant. So funny, this geezer. Um, and I used to love him. I, I really liked him. I thought he was a fantastic character. Uh, knew his football. He was brilliant. That's to say, when I talk about their philosophy, Dick and Uli were the sort of, they were the coaches. Davids overlooked it, but they were the coaches and they were the ones that taught us the movements and things like that. Um, and their philosophy was fantastic. And like you said, brilliant guy. But they really enjoyed London. I think Uli was living with Davids. And uh, Davids never drank. He might have been out late and tired, but he never drank. Ollie was a different character. He loved to drink, and they were out all the time because you could smell booze on Ollie all the time. <laughs> but, but like it never affected his performance. He was never unprofessional. He was still that he he could have had no sleep and he think of booze, and he was still so professional. And it was still such a good training session, it was still so professional. And like I say, we did the video analysis, and he'd be on it and 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 absolutely at it, and smiling and laughing. But you just knew he'd been out. But that was just his character, I think. I think he just loved that. Um, and, and to be honest, uh, when, I, when they come in, um, as I say, I, I, I grew his performances and I played the whole season up top of my own that year. Um, and they turned me into, from the beginning of the season to the end of the season, they turned me into a completely different type of player. Um, and I had a lot of offers at the end of that season. Loads of lot And I'm talking big money um, from Sheffield United, Peterborough, uh, some big, big clubs, uh, and the chairman wouldn't let me go. And 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 at the time, I couldn't I, I couldn't understand it. I was like, "This is my opportunity." This is, and the chairman wouldn't refuse to let me go. Wouldn't even like sort of obviously kept telling me I was going to go, and I and he pooed and rejected everything. Um, and I remember Oli saying Oli saying to me, "Listen, you will have a fantastic career, but if you do stay, we will make you better again." And that put my whole mind at ease. I remember being like, oh, brilliant. And because I actually trusted them as players, what they'd done in that year, I went from being a goal scorer to a front man, if that made sense. I knew the role. I was a target man in the way that anything below my head I'd get hold of my chest, my feet, anything. I didn't do it. My movement was brilliant. Um, my movement then, because I was training every day and we were working on it every day, is probably, even though I've got more experience now and I'm a all round better player, I'd say my movement then is probably better than it is now. And, working with them every day he, he, he used to he used to give me confidence through anything in the team talk we'd be talking about the other team and he'd be showing clips that we did wrong and like someone made a mistake he was like see Heidi that's Heidi that's a goal we've got to cut this out and he'd give me confidence like that being like basically um like a back at any way he'd be like we can't make those mistakes that if that's Heidi that's a goal and that sort of thing and that went a long way with me and like even Dick when Dick come in he, he and um, found me straight away, put his arm around me and was like, you're going to propel us to the next level. And and that goes, for me, that went a long, long way because Davids wasn't that character. Davids would never say that at all. he just named the team. And as much as I knew he liked me, the other two were the, the sort of like arm on shoulder and they'd beat you up and you knew you were, you knew that you were there because of the way they talk about you or the way they say things. And, and yeah, I, I had some fantastic offers in the end of the season. But and I was and I couldn't get my head around it at the time. I remember being in pre season and they were telling me I was going, I was going. They just wanted to get the right price. Um, and as a young lad, obviously that's all you want. Like you do want to progress to championship clubs. It wasn't the same level, it was League One and Championship Clubs. Um and then to find out you're not going, like I probably would have gone the other way. But them two saying, Listen, you're going. At Some stage you will be gone. You we'll get you better, we'll get you stronger. And I remember the first game of the season being like, Is my head right for this? We won the game three 0 and I scored two. First ever goal score under I was buzzing, like. That's right, yeah, the Hive. Um, and, and I kicked right on. And it was because of them, because of their attitude, because they were fun, happy guys, and because of the way they trained us. And it was so professionally run um, in certain aspects. And on the training ground, it's professionally run. But
2: yeah, brilliant.
0: It, it was a weird season, that one, because it felt like it was almost sort of two or three seasons rolled into one. Because you had the squad... Changing so much, and then david's coming in, and everything else. Like the squad at the end of the season was a million miles away from where it was at the start. I mean, I've just looked at the numbers, and we used almost fifty players that year. <coughs> but obviously, with with Edgar Davids coming in, the results turned quite quickly. And you know, we got ourselves into a position where you know we we took it to the last day of the season. Um, was it weird? Was it a weird feeling? Because from my perspective, it felt like we had a new player every week on the pitch playing for us. Did it feel quite odd from your perspective having an extra player, extra players coming into the training ground every week? Was it weird to get used to?
3: Mental. And to be honest, so frustrating. You can imagine how hard you have to work when there's 50 players to hold your place down for a full season. And, you, and when you play up top on your own, it's probably the most pressurised position, along with goalkeeper, but it's probably the most pressurised position because you don't score for two or three games. He's bringing in new players all the time. We had 50, like you say. And to last that whole season was the making of me. Because, as I say, I'm fighting for my place, not weekly, not monthly. I'm fighting for every single day. He's got tens of twenties of trialists in your position. And it was infuriating, but like I say I got through it and I've done a right. Strange season, like as I say, I actually remember that. That was the best group of lads we had. We had some brilliant characters in the change room. We were all in together. And Stacky, in a way kept us together in the fact that whenever any, because he, David would regularly piss people off and people would be fuming. At him. I remember he sent in once, because Yitz, he asked for the ball off Yitz. Yitz beat someone and then gave it him. And Davids got the ball nicked off him in training. They ran down the other end and scored. And he blamed Yitz to the point of him going, See, mate, you should give me the ball when I demand it. I know better than you. And Yitz was like, You lost the ball. And they scored. And he was like, Get in. And he made him train with the kids for a week. And it, was, and it was nothing. Yitz did nothing. It was Davids. And, and things like that. Um was his way of like getting himself out of jail. So it wasn't my fault, it was yours. But that united the lads. Stacky would get everyone in the changing room and go, yes, come off mate, like, it's us versus, do you know what I mean? It's us, it's all about us, don't worry about them, shut the door. And that made us like a massive, that made us a proper team. And we would be like, I remember, so again, we'd do this regularly, we'd get in, if anyone had been pissed off, if anyone had a tap because it was, you'd have, you'd have full on blaring rows, he'd do it to me. He's like, if I missed a shot, he'd be like, you've got to score that. And I was like, yeah, well, I know. I didn't try. And, and he'd he like a fury you because he was telling you stuff. He but it was like, it was more than a normal man would. He would get under your skin. And I don't know if he was doing it on purpose. He might have been a bit of genius by his, you know, his behalf. But he turned the whole team. It was kind of like we weren't against the team we were playing. We were united, but we were against him in a good way. Like we respected him. We listened to what he said. But it was us versus him in the fact that he, one week he was going to have his problem with someone and don't let it don't let it bother us and that made us a fantastic team unit um, so we, I remember before we played before the last ever game at Underhill before Wickham we, it was such a big game we had to win <clears> and Stacky got us all in shut the door we all had us well there's about four or five of us in the change room at the time that had our say um, he started it and he was like anyone else want to say and it was like and I left that change room that day thinking mate we are all in together no matter what I, and it's the first time as a striker I've gone and said, like, I would do anything to win this game. Like, anything. I'm talking, if I didn't play, yeah, and I was, like, dragged off after five minutes or whatever, as long as we win, I'll be so happy. And usually, you want to win. Of course you want to win. But you want to be a part of the win. This, like, the whole sort of, United, you want to be a part of it. You want to have played a part. You want to have done something. But with this, it was, oh, we were so all in it together. Like, I was that desperate to win in that that to keep us up. It was... Yeah, it was like a real different sort of, uh, like United United feeling,
2: and I think that sort of that does sort of bring us, unfortunately, towards the end of that season, and you, you can't really escape it. I think you, you've got to mention it, and from the from the fan side of things, there are lots of different emotions around the uh, leaving Underhill. Um, lots of strong emotions, I think, for lots of people, and I think there was a feeling that, as from a club's point of view. It's one thing going down, we've done that before, we survive it. There's one thing moving grounds, we've seen other clubs do that, they survive it. The combination of those two things, uh, certainly for like a scary prospect as we came towards the end of that season, from from, from the stands. When you're a player in that situation, um, and that particular squad I guess, is that something that you have in your mind or, or is it important that you don't because you've got to concentrate on just playing your football?
3: Yeah, I think I think the chat we had before was all about staying up. Like it was a massive day for Underhill. We wanted to give it a send off, of course, but it would have been a send off just a win because the situation we were in. It was more important than anything, stay up. So we couldn't let the occasion get get ahead of us. Um, and it meant more. It sounds silly, but we understood the history. We understood as players playing in England all our careers. We understood what it meant. Um, and this is, this is like a massive thing for us. So we, again, when we were in that change room, it was all us. And I remember thinking, we, can't, we just can't lose. No matter what happens, we can't lose. And we all had our say, as I say. And um, it was more about staying up than it was under hill um, going. But <clears throat> the second you got there on that day, the, the second you could feel the energy, it was something different. There was something in the air. There was something so strange. And I know it's because he had things on from 8 a.m., 9 a.m. or whatever. Um, but trying to keep focused I had this, I had, since I walked through, I was like, buzzing. I was ready to go. I was desperate. I didn't want to warm up. I just wanted to go. Um, and I remember actually having a really good game that day and missing two or three opportunities where I could have put it to bed. So, obviously, it was against Wickham. They were a good side. Their keeper had a stormer as well. Their keeper was unbelievable yeah.
1: that day, wasn't
3: he? He was, he was bloody brilliant that day. and He made four or five stops against me. And at the time, I was like, mate, this guy stopped everything I've thrown at him. And he did. He had a really, really good game. Um, but little Lukey at the time, and Lukey, by the way, was a hell of a character. He was a young boy at the time, but what character in the change room? If you, he was like, we used to call him a moon man, like a spaceman. Like he wasn't all there, but oh, so funny. He was, if you ever needed cheering up, you'd look at Luke. he'd have this smile from ear to ear and he'd do this, do this little, he'd do this little dance, right? This little dance, wherever he was. And he'd just light up the room. Like he was, Brilliant, brilliant comedy. But also, told him something, he would 100% forget it and get it wrong two minutes later. He was, he was like one of them characters. But um, as soon as I knew Luke was coming on, because I remember that day, Davids played himself left mid, and we were all like, Luke needs to play today. Luke's been reformed, he needs to play. But Davids was in a period of finding a place for himself. Um, and as soon as, I think he moved someone else in or took someone off, and he, he went and sent him here, and he brought Luke on. As soon as Luke came on, I knew. I knew we were going to win. I knew we were going to score. I knew I was going to score. Luke could be, get a beat of someone, whip it in, and, and obviously, yeah, as I say, that um, that managed to happen. And then, whatever it was,
1: the eighty eighth minute, I got across my man and and scored. And uh, the rest is history. Yeah, I mean, I think it was, obviously that that moment was special for us as as Barnet fans of a long time. Like that that day was was unbelievable. Like you, c- you couldn't have written it in more of a Barnet way. I think the way the whole day panned out. I mean, like like you say, I think. That energy, I remember waking up in the morning at the time, Craig and I had a flat in Finch, we were both living in together. Not like that. <laughs> um, <laughs>
2: but,
1: uh, it's um, the best. I think it's yeah, what you mean. Yeah, I but, um, so- I, but I remember, you know, like meet, meeting in the cafe early with the boys, being outside the Weaver, like sort of 12, 15 of us that hadn't happened for years before because kind of life's moved on and you've settled down or whatever else. And, and it was just a really special day and loads of Loads of ways. Like we all we were, we were all in the East Terrace where we used to stand as like sort of teenagers when we were younger, and it was obviously it was really charged, a good game. Like you said, Barnet dominated throughout. Reading. Really. we could have had two or three goals by the time your one came around. Um, and, and it was that that moment when the ball hit the net from your finish was unbelievable. Like the 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 goal celebration was up there with the best of any at Underhill because obviously the situation was massive as well. It wasn't just. In yeah. fact, it was the last game at Underhill, like a nothing game. It was huge for survival. the way the results were going at that point because obviously we've got the advantage of being on our phones looking at scores and that. Um, and it was just, yeah, like a phenomenal moment. Obviously, we've had that moment. Your adrenaline's going probably for you on the pitch. For us in the stand, it's all looking like the perfect finish. And then uh, I think it was John Flanagan, who's at Sunderland now, who give away the penalty. Yeah, um, I remember it. We were all fuming because he was alone and he seemed like he didn't care he was the only one and like,
3: I'm sure he did I'm sure he did but he seemed as if he wasn't that bothered because he was going back to his parent club and it come across that way and I remember being furious like absolutely livid because of what we just done and I, I remember scoring that goal and I remember the celebrations of the day obviously there's a picture of it where I'm in the air and I'm so yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm screaming um and we've only got to see out two three minutes we battered these guys all game we've only got to see out two three minutes and it was a nothing tackle the guy was going nowhere towards the byline and he it was an obvious penalty. Like, just was so clumsy with it. And I'm thinking, like, just see that. You haven't got touched the ball or him. Just see it out. Um, I was furious with it. He, didn't, he just turned around and I was like, I couldn't believe it. And I stood there and I was halfway line. I actually had cramp because I'd as I say, the extra-general, you see it a lot of Wembley. I actually had cramp in my car for the last two minutes. Um, and I like, hobbled my way back to the halfway line and I stood there watching this penalty like, through my eyes. And where Stackey saying. I sprinted fast, and I sprinted the whole game back into hugging. I literally had—I remember having Crab taking on the tape off, and then just bolting back, giving him the biggest hug, kiss, defending the corner, and it cleared, and then that feeling and that whistle going. Oh my god, that was amazing! Good carrying off the pitch, me and Stacky both.
1: because yeah, well I, I was going to ask about that because obviously I remember um, before the game. That I, I'm, a, I'm a school teacher, so I've got a behaving quite responsible. Uh, a teacher in Barnet as well. <laughs> yes, uh, I was in my first. Uh, First year as a teacher that season, and um, yeah. I'm thinking before the game. Right, you've got to kind of channel it today a bit. And like when the whistle went, I was one of the first over the barrier on the pitch. And uh, on Monday at school, I had a kid stand to me, "Oh, Mr. DL I think I saw you on the pitch." At <laughs> My dad said you get arrested if you do that, and I had to hush hush it or whatever. But um, and I think it was one of those where emotions kind of took over, and I, I was I remember walking around in a bit of like a dazed state, like this is it, this is where I've kind of grown up watching the footballers, same with the other boys. Um, But obviously for you as players, I don't remember kind of seeing the players on the pitch and wandering around in a bit of a sort of trance. But there were great pictures, like you say, you got carried off the pitch as one of our good mates, kissing Graham Stack on the forehead. It's a great photo we've got somewhere. Um, Did it kind of feel like more than it was though? Because obviously the occasion was massive, but we still had a big job to do the week after because of the Wimbledon result. We, were, we, we, were, we went three points clear of someone else, right? Um, and we were 55 points. No one's
3: ever gone down on 55 points before. We'd done it. We thought, if we won tomorrow, we were having conversations like, we had done this. Obviously, it wasn't the case and we knew that for, for the Northampton game next week. But at the time, they were, we, before the game, we were like, lads, if we win this today, I'm telling you now, someone out there's going to lose and that'll be us. We'll be safe. We can celebrate. And a few of the boys, that's one of the best I've ever had in England. there was me, Johnny Oster, Graham Stack. We all went out and sat in to celebrate this win. Like, and I'm talking the emotions. I didn't even need it. I did, obviously, alcohol, but I didn't need alcohol. I was so infused. I was absolutely over the moon. And, and, and they were like an old school. And I, I always thought my age, our age, was the last ever um, of the old school. I was like the last ever of the old school. Um, and, and, and they were like the old school boys. So Johnny O, brilliant, brilliant character. One of the best footballers I've seen. Graham Stack, they'd been there. They'd done it. They, they'd seen everything. And... And their old school way of mentality, of drinking, of training hard, of no matter if you've been out, come Monday, you're back on it, you're up early, you're working harder than everyone else. I was brought up on that and I loved that. And when you win, celebrate and succeed together, you go out and celebrate together. And there was about 10 of us out that night and we had an unbelievable night. And I knew, I was looking around, we've done this, we are going to nail this. And I couldn't wait for the game the next week, obviously. Um, It didn't end up the way we wanted it to, but the energy around the place, I've, I walked into the bar afterwards and as I walked in, the whole, whole room clapped and I, like, I got a lump in my throat. I felt emotional. And I, my, this club hadn't just given me my league debut. I'd spent the best year of my career there. I'd, I'd grown as a player. I'd met lifelong friends. I had experiences and stories I could tell for the rest of my life. And it felt like we'd achieved what we set out to achieve. I know it wasn't what we wanted at the beginning of the season, but it set out being 12 games adrift. We were so far gone and dead and buried and we felt like that day seeing off Underhill was our moment and we'd achieved everything we wanted to from January onwards. Um, every day working so hard and being together. and Like I say, it was, it was a f- surreal feeling but one of the best feelings ever. I remember walking in and seeing my family, giving them all the heart and being like, don't get much better than this. Unfortunately, the week will come crashing back down the week later.
2: It's quite a weird thing, Jake, because we, we spoke to a couple of the, uh, the players that played the first the, the, so the first time. But the, back, back in the oh, uh 2000, 2001 season where we got relegated uh, as well. And, and, and the way they described that team atmosphere going into that was very different. I think it felt a lot more negative, and um, certainly there was a sense of foreboding. And, and it almost, we, we, we sort of fell down into relegation at that point. But the way you've described this one is very, very different. That it actually sounds like that the players were, had a, a, really a bit of confidence about them, a bit of belief going into that final game.
3: Oh no, no doubt. And and I tell you what killed us actually. Um, I mean, other than the fact Keanu should have squared it to uh, Luke Campbell, I don't know if you remember that, boys. But um, I tell you what killed us was going back to David's first game. Right, we played Northampton, and we'd been bottom, had won a game, and we humiliated them, battered them, zip, battered them, Right, we all played unbelievable, and it was our t- like it was our first game in. Um, it was David's first game in, and to be fair, he did a he played that game and I was playing up front and he did a flip-flap, a, a David's flip-flap, bang, bang, one way than the other. It basically did it the whole time of the club. Um, and I remember being stood there like, oh my God. And that game, we hammered him, battered him, four zip. And, um, and that was it. We were like, we performed, we had, we, everything finally come together. Um, and I was like, here we go then, this is us. But we humiliated a very good Northampton side because we, at the time, when we were the sort of we were the, we were the whipping boys. Like we game, um, and they were supposed to be getting promoted. And everyone was going, "Yeah, but it was fine because they're already in the playoffs. They'll rest a couple, whatever, whatever it means, nothing to them." But we knew their manager hated it, and he publicly said, "No, no, no. We need we we owe these boys one. Well, they beat four nil, and they hadn't won a game. <laughs> we owe these boys one, and they played their strongest team. And it was it was a tough, tough, really, really hot day. Horrible place to go, as it is." And we, it was a very, very good first half. It was a very competitive, uh, very good first half. It was really competitive. And we had two of the better chances in the first half. And, and as I say, all Keanu had to do was square it to Luke. He'd just come into the team. All he had to do was square it to Luke. 1-0. Completely different game. Completely different story. Um, and at halftime, I think it was 0-0 one, nil, nil, one, nil, or 1-0 or 0-0. Nil, nil. But the other results were going our way. And we just had to keep it like that. Obviously, we never ended up doing that. Um, and it was from just high to lows within seven days high to lows like I've never felt I couldn't get my head around it I could, didn't feel like we'd been relegated I was walking out there and I was like it, I couldn't get my head around it was the last game I couldn't get my head around that was it and I couldn't get my head around the goal difference after everything we've been through goal difference like, I, it just hadn't it, it was so So I was getting under the coach and it was like it, it hadn't something I didn't understand it it was we've been so good we had done everything we lose one game, and then it felt like last week we'd done it. We lose one game, and all of a sudden, it was it was a very surreal feeling, Hor- horrendous feeling. And it's the only time this actually ever happened to me in my career, and I I pray it never happens again. But it was the It's one of the worst feelings you'll ever get. So, uh, as I say, yeah, it wasn't very nice. But things could have been very.
0: It was a, It was quite a strange feeling. Well, obviously, going down is a strange feeling for a, any football supporter. But for us, we'd you know we'd been flirting with relegation so closely for the previous few seasons, you know, the fourth yeah, three, right, three, three previous seasons we stayed up on the last day and obviously on the fourth one we we, we didn't go down, uh, well, sorry, we did go down in the end. Um, it was a weird one when we walked away from there because A, we'd just been relegated and B, we're facing a summer of a little bit of uncertainty because obviously we're going to a new ground. Um, you spoke about, uh, you know, offers that you had that summer but obviously you've you eventually ended up staying at a club. Um, and then we're looking at a new season in a in a new division in a new ground. Um, we played Chester that first game, and like you say, you scored in the last game at Underhill, and you scored in the first game at the Hive. Did you notice any sort of um, any sort of differences really uh, in the vibe of the vibe of the place when we were uh, in that new ground? Obviously, you trained there, but we hadn't played any games there until that point.
3: For me, it was a little different. For me. I'd, I'd, uh, the whole summer I was getting phone calls. I was, and, and as I say, I was, I was a bit naive again. I didn't really understand it. I was getting fed. I, there's things I would do now that were very different. Um, I, was getting, I was believing what people told me. I was, I was getting some really, really bad advice from people. But I knew these offers were coming in because um, I'd spoke to people who had called me personally. So I, I thought I was going. And I'm talking I thought I was going until three days before the start of season. So it was nice to see, and I was like, wow, yeah, this is beautiful. This is lovely. Like, this is a really nice facility. It's a shame. But I thought that day at Underhill, I was leaving Underhill anyway. You know? So, like, as much as it was, I was so happy to be a part of it, I didn't see myself going to the hive. Um, just as I say, because League One Championship offers were coming in, they were good offers, and I was desperate to show what I was capable of doing. Um, it, <laughs> Politics got in the way of that. The move got squashed. And I had to get my head around very quickly that I was still in a good place, still at a good club, um, and that you have to go and perform now. There's no, You can't solve it. You have to go and perform. If you don't do it this year, or this year, if you don't do it this year, you're going to regret it. Um, and I remember going out for that first game and being like, man, the pitch is unbelievable. The stadium is going to be incredible. This could be the start of something brilliant. Um, and more importantly, you need to go and perform if you want to get back to where people believe you should be. And as you say, I went out into that game. Um, we scored two. We played really well. The th- One thing I was really nervous about that summer is we hadn't had a preseason with Davids before and he didn't do any running. Like, all these old-school managers ran the nuts off you. For the first two, three weeks, you wouldn't see a football. Everything Davids did was with a ball. Everything. Well, we wouldn't do anything. We didn't do any running. We'd do a couple of strides. And we were, for the first moment, we hadn't done enough running preseason. Coming into the first game, we were like a bit nervous that we weren't going to be fit enough. We were like, we've done no running. We're not like everyone else has been getting beasted, coming kind of late. We do everything with the ball, blah, blah, blah. We were the fittest team in that league by a mile. And what we had done is played more preseason games than anyone else. The first preseason game, usually they bed you in with a half hour, 45 minutes. He went straight in and played people 90 minutes from the first preseason game. And it was a completely different thing. It was a completely different philosophy. Everything was with the ball, but we were super fit. Uh, even myself, who missed the first month and a half. I come into the game and I just felt sharper than everyone. Like everyone was sharper than I. I couldn't work out why. Um, so anyway, yeah, I scored two goals. I really enjoyed the goals as well. One of them was one of my favourite goals to this day. Uh, we got put through one-on-one and the keeper came out and I just dinked him and it was lovely. Like, I really enjoyed it. And I was like, do you know what? I'm going to have a good year here. And, and it was kind of gone. All the talk, all the speculation uh, was gone until January. So um, And it was really good. Uh, as I say, I had new things to look forward to. Couple of weeks later, I was picked for the England team with Fairclough. Uh, that was another new experience. It's brilliant. We had a great team there. Um, many of who have gone on to play for the championship and stuff. Um, but yeah, it was just a comp- it felt like a completely new era and it almost felt like a new club anyway.
1: Yeah, I mean it's it's interesting, you say that, Jake, because we like, will be totally honest with you, obviously, that and I think you can tell from our conversation with with big Barnet fans, with you know, all the games we talked about, we were at least some of us were all there, home, away, whatever. Yeah, that summer was was big for us. I, I think Craig and I both didn't attend the game in the first season at the Hive um, through the feeling of kind of that that some it, the identity had gone for us a little bit I, and, and I think all three of us even now we don't go very often. We're not, we still, still say we're Barnet fans, that's why we're doing this, we're looking back on great times um, and I remember that first season especially we were kind of watching it with a curiosity from afar because you kind of felt like well that's gone but I know we like BT Sport had a lot of the conference games what you want to call it National League that season so there was access to it um, but you know for us there was that kind of disconnect and, and it's interesting to speak to you as someone who's in the game in, in, in the later year some of the players we've spoken to recently for you as a player and please be totally honest forget what I've just said as a, my supporter views for you as a player, was the move to the Hive a good thing in terms of obviously the pitch is better, the, the facilities are better, but is, is it better being a Barnet player at the Hive or did you feel a bit of, of disappointment to leave Underhill? So there's two things about this. I'm not just saying this because of what you lads have said, but
3: what Underhill had is as a Barnet player, it had one of the best atmospheres. It had a, it had a magic feeling. Those, those evening games at Underhill, not so much Saturdays, those Tuesday night games had... Atmosphere you couldn't describe. There was something else there. It was magic. It was our spot. We knew everyone hated coming there. Everyone couldn't stand it. When you went down the hill in the second half, you come out and you felt three inches bigger, right? And it was, it was, it was our place. It was weird. The hive wasn't like that. The hive was a little bit hollow, it was a little bit empty. You didn't have the same atmosphere. You couldn't hear the crowd the same, but it was a beautiful facility. So attracting players in London they would turn up every day to a fancy training ground that helps. The training ground does help because you're there more often than not. You're working. It makes you want to stay an hour afterwards and do finishing. It makes you want to stay uh, an hour after When there's a gym on site, it makes you go and do more because it's there. So that helps. It helps attract players because they like turning up and feeling that they're on a good facility, that they're proper athletes. Um, but the stadium itself, on the day, the atmosphere was different. The atmosphere wasn't the same. They didn't have the same intensity. It didn't have the same, but what I always saw it was, was it had brilliant potential to extend and progress. And I thought that Barney would go and go and go because of that stadium. Obviously, it hasn't worked out that way, but I thought they would progress, they would attract new people, there'd be investments, and they would become a sustainable League One Club, two League One Club, uh, and playing for things with an increased attendance of two, three, four, five thousand. That's how I saw the club, and I saw it as a, I saw it as why the chairman did it. I get it. I think, well, he's actually a very smart businessman, and I know it's pretty public knowledge that he rents that out and earns very well off of it as well. Um, but he, what he did at the time, I thought was trying to grow the football club, and by not moving stadium, you see, even the top level clubs do it by not moving the stadiums. Um, you'll struggle to, to progress and grow. And, but you do lose the character. You do lose the diehards. You do lose the bit. So I, you see, same emirates, people refuse to go to Arsenal now, And I understand why, because that was their home. That was them. And, and I'd probably feel the exact same as a supporter. Um, but the, all I would suggest is as a player, it's your job. You have to be professional. It's like turned up to a new off. Like you have to go, you have to go no matter what. Um, it was really nice training facility. Uh, but, if you ask me where I'd rather play on a Tuesday, next Tuesday night for a game against your rivals, The Hive or Underhill, Underhill all day. But if you ask me where I'd rather train and where I see the club progressing long term, you need to be at The Hive to do so. That's that's the issue you got to to attract new players, to attract people in London that you you wouldn't attract at, at Underhill. So it's a really, really tough one. But
0: you know, tough one tough one is tough one is exactly right I think the way you've described it is quite a conundrum which I don't think many of us have worked out yet. the answer is just a lot better ten years ago let's go back
2: <laughs> jake look we we've done a few of these and we we tend to ask the same question towards the end um and uh which is is do you look at back back at the club in a fond way and when I spoke to someone about it recently, they said. Um, well, everyone's going to say yes. So it's a bit of a, a soft question. But when you look back at your time at Barnet, um, what are your immediate thoughts and feelings about it?
3: I would say, and I'm, again, this is honest to God, if you asked any one of my family members of UB, hindsight's a magic thing. And I didn't realise what I had when I was at Barnet. I, it's, it's literally the club closest to my heart. What I will say is where I'm at right now, Woking, I have absolutely loved and it's been the closest thing to it Barnet and Woking, by far out of all the clubs I've played for I've played for bigger clubs But what I'd say is the two clubs closest to my and always will be Barnet and Woking. and I say that because I've achieved the most I've had the best times there and it comes down to lots of things at Barnet I've become a better player I love my time there the, the, the experiences and the stories I've got I haven't even really gone into them um, will, will never be forgotten um, and I uh, and and the lads the changing room we had was special and unique and I don't think I'll ever be in a changing room like that again Uh, I played my league debut there made my first little bit of football there Um, I mean playing with Vega Tablins no matter how you spin it it's unbelievable people ask me that to this day and I've got thousands of stories about him I should have told you I mean there was one training session real quick Um, I remember we um, it was before the Christmas do and and me and Johnny O Johnny O was actually undercover really funny and me and Johnny O we started this thing and we 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 eggyboff the gaffer. So basically the first one to speak to him, right, had to put 50 quid in the kitty. And he called us all in for a meeting and he's asking people different questions and everyone's going. (laughs) He's putting people around and and he's hugging people like that. Um, and he's and he's talking to him and he's like hey ID, hey, and I'm going, and I just keep completely pying him. No one spoke to him for about 45 minutes. And he's like, I started to notice, right? And the whole place is silent. We're running away from him, he's got the ball. Everyone's looking at him. Like it's, it's criminal, right? And then one of the young lads cornered one of the young lads, and he gave it up. And everyone cheered when we met. everyone started being buzzing around. Um, and, and we yeah we only boffed him for about forty five minutes, and then me and Johnny O took it one further. And we weren't allowed like, to. So we were playing in a, 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 a I think it was a six side game, and David stood on the side, and me and Johnny O stood in the centre circle. And we he went right first one to move. So we was game and it was and we weren't allowed to move like me and him stood there we had 50 quid on it to go into the kitty, and we stood there the whole game's going on people are throwing us the ball and i'm like swerving it just stood still <laughs> so often because i didn't want to lose 50 quid um, and david's like moaning someone passed me the ball directly to my feet and i just jacked it i just let it run and, like, and I, I think i put someone through on the other team um but we were stood there for about three minutes and he was getting cringe and i ended up losing because i ran up and johnny was wouldn't let me do it down but um yeah, he was going, What are you two doing? Like screaming at us. And we just stood there in the middle of training. Like I'm not moving. I'm like I don't even want to look at him. He's like over there. I'm just standing there. But yeah, I end up having to put fifty quid into the kitty. But things are like priceless memories that you'll take with you for, like little things just in the training ground. Before that was just that was just one day before like the Christmas do, just to get the kitty a bit more full. Um I mean, you've heard about the major sponge, Graham Stack, all his stories. I mean, I can give you thirty more. Every single one of them is true. He hasn't he hasn't over exaggerated one of them. He's He's single-handedly the biggest character I've ever come across in football. Um, and, and some think I will never, ever forget. Um, and I say I still catch up with him here and there now, but honestly, I can't. I, can't, I, I, I tell all my best stories somehow have him involved. Um, so yeah, just honestly, I'm, I, I mean this from the bottom of my heart. Absolutely. I, I, looking back upon it, I absolutely loved it. And funnily enough, I, um, I nearly come back there at the beginning of this season. I, um, Darren Curry called me up and we had three or four conversations about returning. Um, I'm not going to go into why it didn't happen, but it was nothing to do with me or Darren or the will of, uh, wanting to come back. Believe me, believe me. Cause I said to him straight away, I said, I'll look back at you with fond memories. Best time I've had in my career. Um, and I'd love to come back. Um, and he was like, well, we're dying to have you, um, the shirts they waiting for you, blah, blah, blah. And it didn't happen for other reasons. um. But equally, what I will say is I've had a fantastic season We're with Woken. I've loved every minute of it. We've overachieved and I'm, I'm back to playing undoubtedly my best football um, ever. And, and it takes sometimes a special place. Like You can be a great player, but it can be the wrong fit. And I think I've had that twice now in my career. Um, I had a few injuries in the middle part of my career, which were terrible timing. that didn't do me any good. Um, but as I say, I'm fitter and stronger than I have been for now. And, and this is the closest... What as I say, working at Barnet, are the two clubs I will look at from memories, and 100% once I retire, come and watch that yeah. regularly.
1: And I think that's it. You know, we've we've seen you flying for Woking this season, scoring lots of goals on Soccer Saturday, whatever. And I think all of us and lots of other Barnet fans are pleased to see you doing so well because I think you know we we all have a lot of time for you after your two spells at the club. Um, I think from what you were saying there, Jake, we're going to have to have you back on for part two. Maybe we can get Graham Stack in as well. That would be a great a great show just to talk about that season with the two of you. There's a little idea I'll in, in your head there if you're up for it. Um, 100%. You'll need to two hours with Jackie, Jesus Christ. <laughs> Clear the diary. That's not a problem. Um, but yeah, look, Jake, Look, thanks for more than one really memorable goal that we've talked about. Thanks for all your efforts on the pitch at Barnet, and obviously for your time today to talk about your career with us and obviously we hope and wish you all the best for your time at Woking going forward whenever football starts again. Yeah, no, thank you very much, chaps. Thanks for having me.
3: Take Robinson on. He's brilliant. And
2: there's goal of the season, Frank Murphy. Giuliano Grazzioli. Oh, absolute
3: quality. I'm sure most people would say I was mad. It's so big a second season. Probably start
1: from Curry.
2: Not a bad try.